0: Good to see everybody. How is everybody? Seeing some new faces here. Welcome to everybody who's new. Really good to have you guys here. Well, we're going to start with my favorite thing and your least favorite thing, a mental exercise. You ready? Don't worry. It's just a mental exercise. I promise this is a physical exercise-free zone. You're safe. This is a safe zone. (laughs) Unless you're Andrew and Jason, you have to lift everything up. (laughs) Okay. So, I want you to... Get in your mind's eye a, a national figure that you respect. Somebody with name recognition, but uh, you respect them. Could be It's going to be different for every person, but it could be a, a Christian leader, it could be an elected official, it could be a business person, some successful personality. Get them in your mind, someone you really think is an awesome person. Everybody got it? Okay, sometimes it can be hard to think of somebody you respect, but there's got to be somebody, come on. Okay, so now... How would you feel if that person contacted you personally, called you up personally, not their secretary, but the person themselves, and they said vast resources were going to be placed at your disposal, and they had a special mission they needed you to fulfill? Obviously, you'd feel surprised at first. I don't know. Maybe some of you, I don't think Andrew would be surprised. He'd be like, I've been waiting for this, but uh, I've been expecting, what took you so long? But some of us would be surprised, and... uh, But besides surprise, would you feel like, you know what, this is important. This, I can't believe this. I've been chosen for an important mission by this highly respectable person. I want to do this. That's how I I would be like, you know what, this is important. I'm going to drop everything else, and I'm going to get this done, right? Believe it or not, this sort of thing has happened before. Quick story. After the Japanese struck at Pearl Harbor in 1941, there was a guy named, well, he was an admiral, but he was a very junior admiral. He was only a rear admiral, which is the lowest kind of admiral you can be and still be an admiral, just up from captain. And his name was Chester Nimitz. He had a lot of guys ahead of him on the admiral's list. There were vice admirals and full admirals, multiple stars on their shoulders. And he was junior. Uh, Guys 10 years older than him, 15 years older than him. In the Navy, it was all based on seniority. So he had no expectation of, of being in charge of anything. So... One day, a few days after Pearl Harbor, he got a phone call. Actually, his assistant got a phone call, and this low voice said, put Chester on the phone. Chester was his first name. Poor guy. And this this flag lieutenant, this assistant, was offended because his admiral had just been called by his first name. You know, you don't do that. You say Admiral Nimitz. You don't say Chester. And he goes, who is this? You know, who who is this person calling and saying, put Chester on the phone? And the low voice responded, this is the president. Put him on the phone. President Roosevelt, and Roosevelt had personally plucked Nimitz out of relative obscurity and he told him, get out to Pearl Harbor and don't come back until we've won the war in the Pacific. And Chester Nimitz today is regarded as the greatest admiral in American history, but it happened because he was ready when the call came. Do you know, my friends, your spiritual service is more lasting and therefore more important than any earthly call? Your spiritual service is an eternal destiny. And you bring... It's the one thing you bring with you into heaven. You can't take your clothes with you to heaven. Thank the Lord. You can't take your house or your car. But the fruit that you produce in this life will be silver and gold. It will survive the fire. Gold. Let's just say gold. And it will last. You take it with you. Your spiritual service is more important than any earthly call. So... The Lord is calling you up. We've been talking about on-ramps to the freeway of God's grace. God imparts more grace to you when you impart grace to others than in any other way. When, he, when you let him use you to impart grace to others, he imparts so much more grace to you. Because you can't outgive God, right? It's a spiritual principle. The more you give, the more you get. But God is calling you up. He's saying, put so-and-so on the phone. I have a special mission for you. I have specially put vast resources at your disposal, and I know your name. You're not obscure. I know you, and you have an important mission. Let's look at the Bible. This is from 1 Corinthians 12:7. And following, I'm just going to read it. Now, to each one of the manis- now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom. Some of you get messages of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. If you have faith, it's from the the Spirit, so you can always ask him for more. To another, gifts of healing, by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. He has a plan. He's very careful. He's very deliberate. He has specially given you, who he knows by name, certain gifts. Verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable indispensable you can't do without it that's what that word means you can't do without it don't forget that word we're going to come back to that word verse 27 now you are the body of christ and each one of you is a part of it and in the church god has appointed first of all apostles second prophets third teachers then workers of miracles Also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Point number one. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, knows your name and has specially gifted you and specially called you to play an indispensable role. You've got to think about that one. You've got to let that one sink in if you haven't let that one sink in yet. Some people think they don't matter that much. But that's not what our Bibles say. Indispensable. It means you can't get by without it. My parents and I are going camping starting this afternoon. My dad is going to show off his fishing skills. He always proposes a kind of a bet where whoever gets the first fish, the most fish, and the biggest fish Two out of those three, at least. The loser has to buy lunch. And it's a nightmare. You know, they say God doesn't play favorites, but He just prays, you know, God, give me the biggest fish. And it's like right there. Or let me have the most fish. God just does exactly as He says. It's kind of like you're not supposed to play favorites, but whatever. (laughs) Hopefully, He doesn't want a very expensive lunch. So camping, so there are certain things when you go camping that it's okay if you forget them. Like if you're the pickerels, you can forget the cookies and it'll be okay. (laughs) You can always have some more later after you get back. But there are other things that they're indispensable to your camping trip. Now, I was counting on my mom not being in the room. She usually does children's church. So I was solemnly charged by my dad not to bring this up in front of my mom because of the traumatic memory it induces. So hopefully the fact that it was like 40-something years ago will cover over that. But my dad confided in me when he was newly married that they went on a church camp out, and he forgot something indispensable. What did he forget? Anybody have an idea? What would be indispensable to a a camping trip? Brenda. Brenda. (laughs) He forgot the tent. Now, I think a tent is pretty indispensable to a tent-based camping trip, right? Now, that was 40 years ago. He was in his 20s. You can forgive him for that. He's a really smart guy, and she forgave him. They, they ended up going to about five years of counseling, and their marriage continued. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. So, what did Paul say? Using body parts as an analogy, great, great analogy. Nothing like body parts for an analogy. He said, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So I'm sitting there thinking, what is, an, what is a weak body part that's indispensable? And I asked the Holy Spirit for help, and he gave me one idea. There's lots of them. Your nostril. You know, nostrils are pretty weak. They're just, people with nose rings, they're taking their life in their hands. What if it gets caught on something, you know? I wouldn't do it. But you can't say, I'm just a humble nostril. I am useless to the body of Christ. You know, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you have that really dry mouth and you realize you've been breathing through your mouth for hours and you can't swallow? It's like, what's been going on? You know, you, you need your nostrils. They're really important. So breathe this spiritual truth in through your nostrils. Your gifts matter. God doesn't want the church to do without you and your gifts. Your gifts are indispensable. Okay. I think the enemy tries to get everybody to feel like you know, you don't really matter. You're, you're not that. These other people will do it. No, he knows your name. He's called you up. He's given you indispensable gifts. Okay? Good. This series on grace has been based on 1 Corinthians. And before we go on, we need to talk about it. We need to have a frank conversation about these Corinthians. I read through the whole book, 1 Corinthians, on Friday, just to get a real feel for I want you, can, you really get a feel for a book when you read it front to end. And, uh, you know, these letters were meant to be read to the church all in one sitting. That's what they would do. They would just sit there and read it. It's not like they read one chapter. They didn't have the chapters yet. They just read the letter. And so I'm sitting there reading this book, and you get this impression of these Corinthians. This is, this is a wild group of people. Have you seen my, my big fat Greek wedding? It came out about 20 years ago. Kind have a funny movie about Greek people. You know, they're like roasting a goat out on the front lawn. That's what these Corinthians would have been like. They're Greeks. So what's going on here? They, they're like they're suing each other. They're, they're showing up on Sunday morning, and Paul says, where did I put this? Chapter 14, verse 26. When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So they would all show up with something they wanted to share. Like every, everyone had something. And it's like chaos. You know, you can't all just start talking at once. You have to go, he, he had to like teach them how to have an orderly service. Um, I just love the juxtaposition of Paul I don't remember where this is in First Corinthians, but he has to tell them this 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 law-abiding Pharisee, this rule-following Pharisee. I can just imagine him like sighing as he writes this letter, like he has to tell them not to drink all the communion wine during church and get drunk during church. Like, come on, guys, what are you doing? What else? It's just it's a lot of chaos there. I won't even mention the worst thing. There are some bad things going on in. in well, I'll just tell you, one guy ended up taking his stepmom as a mistress, and he would just, then he would just come to church, like, what? What did I do? Come on. So he had to write, this guy, you know, this guy needs to repent, or he can't be part of the body of Christ. Um, I just get this impression, oh, the other thing I had to mention, they would have these potlucks, and this inner circle would eat all the food and leave the newcomers and the unbelievers and the poor with nothing to eat afterwards. Can you imagine a potluck where everybody shows up with this huge plate piled on and then the last 50 people don't get anything? That's what was going on here. So you get the impression of these people like basically this was a pagan city. They were lost. They didn't know anything about God. And then Paul shows up on his second missionary journey and he does miracles. There's demons cast out. There's prophetic words. There's healings, Holy Spirit baptisms and he just rocked their world with the things of the spirit but then you know he's on a missionary journey so he has to go on to the next town and he leaves them as they're full of the spirit and they they've seen the gifts but they're basically a very immature group of people they're very he calls them baby Christians he says you guys are only ready for milk you're not ready for solid food despite all that they loved the gifts the corinthians loved the gifts of the spirit uh, we mentioned how they would all show up with something, a prophetic word. They wanted to speak in tongues. Someone wanted to share a hymn. Somebody wanted to, to interpret the tongues. On and on. Some of, them had, some of them had a special message. They all wanted to be the, the guy up front or the woman up front. They didn't want to just be the audience. And Paul has to write them not to, not to all talk over each other. It would be like if New Song, if we all drank three times as much coffee. That's basically what these services were like. So, this letter, 1 Corinthians, is a response to their letter to him asking questions. So, you can tell we don't have their letter to him, but he he writes to them about spiritual gifts in response to them asking. They wanted to know more. You know, in our church, not in our church, I mean, in the American church across the whole country, I don't think our church is like this, but in the American church, the model for far too long has been the pastor is the shepherd, the audience is the sheep. When you shake the pastor's hand as you leave the building on Sunday morning, you're done with spiritual stuff for the week. Now back to the real world. And then, you know, a whole week passes and then you sit sit back down in the church pew and do your spiritual time for a couple hours and then you're done again. That's been the model for a long time. And it's not the New Testament model. The New Testament model is you are all called. We are all called to be of service in the kingdom and we're all called to be leaders. Now, we don't want to be like the Corinthians and all come up front and try to talk all at once. But you get the idea. Going around door to door in the Rogue Valley, you meet a lot of Christians. There's a lot of Christians here. Thank God. But one thing I notice in conversations with people, there's an idea and a mindset. They're like, huh, you're evangelizing? You know, Good for you. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the rapture. I'm just kind of hunkering down. We batten down the hatches. This world is going to hell in a handbasket, but I'm riding out the storm. Jesus is going to come back any day now. Maybe tomorrow, maybe right now, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just waiting at the storm. You know, when it comes to the second coming, I hope it's today. To hear that trumpet sound would be joy unspeakable. Amen. But, you know, when the Bible says, no one knows the day or the hour, I take that at its word. It could be a while. It could be all of our lifetimes. It could be a couple hundred years. We don't know. No one knows. He's not going to come back until the full number of believers has come into the body And he's the only one that knows the number. And so, you know, we were called to be salt and light. We weren't called to just batten down the hatches and ride out the storm and let the world go to hell in a handbasket. That's not who we're supposed to be. On the morning of our most recent super soul winning Saturday, last Saturday, I woke up in a bad mood. And I, you know, it happens every time that I'm planning to evangelize. And I've come to realize the enemy hates evangelism so much that he actually attacks you and tries to get you in a bad mood the day before, th- that morning. And you always think, okay, I'll go next, next time. I don't really feel like it this time. And you have to fight through that. Every, it's pretty consistent every time. And I feel like if people only evangelize when they felt like it, pretty much my dad and maybe one or two other people would be the only ones who go. I never feel like it that morning. But you go and then you're glad you did. But I had the pleasure and privilege of going one-on-one with um, Pastor Steve Philo. He's uh, the founder of the Medford Healing Rooms. He's a chaplain of the Veterans Dom. Just an amazing guy. Uh, he preaches here a couple times a year. But it was just wonderful. But he kept saying something to me that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. We, would, we, would go, we went to the mall to get out of the smoke and we ended up praying with four couples to receive the Lord. So it was eight people. It was just this great time. And he kept looking at me and saying, oh, you're so gifted. You're such a gifted evangelist. And... I'm sitting there thinking, or standing there thinking, he doesn't realize how vital he has been to this time we've had today. Uh, He let me lead the whole time, but his presence, he has this Holy Spirit presence, this kind, fatherly um, atmosphere, and I was able to talk to people that I normally wouldn't have talked to, actually. So when I go by myself, I let myself get talked out of, if somebody looks intimidating, like a really successful businessman who clearly makes a lot more money than I do, I can, say, I can say, oh, he doesn't want it. I, I can tell he's not going to say yes. Or a couple that looks busy, oh, you know, they, they don't have time for this. And I'll, I'll go find somebody who's easy to avenge. There's certain people, like uh, if, they're, if they're obviously, uh, like, like a young guy by himself is not intimidating to me. I don't know why. That's just not intimidating to me. Um, a homeless person is not intimidating to me. But other people are intimidating, and I just make excuses. I don't know why it is. But with Steve there, purely out of my own vanity, I kept thinking, if I was out talking to this couple or this guy, he's going to think that I'm a wimp, so I better I better do it. And so then I would talk to them, and some anointing would fall down, and they would end up getting saved. I'd be like, really? You want to pray to receive Jesus? Okay. I didn't see that coming. And then he would say, oh, you're such an anointed evangelist. And I'd be like, quietly thinking, that only happened because you were standing next to me. And on top of that, we had people back here in the church praying for us. We have intercessors who just pray up a storm the whole time we're going out. We have people who pray as a lifestyle every week for um, spiritual terraforming of the Rogue Valley. You know, We have people who give, and it allows the lights to be on, the building to be open, and the meeting to take place in the first place. We have my dad, who is serving as an apostolic role, organizing um, sending people out, teaching on evangelism, inspiring people to go, encouraging people to go. It wouldn't happen without him. So those eight people who Steve and I prayed with to receive Jesus, none of that would have happened without a whole big group of believers who were part of the whole, who were making it happen. And so that's just one example, but there's a lot of other examples. There's the healing rooms, there's the prophetic ministry, there's our small groups. They all happen because of you all using your gifts. So I hope you know that you play an integral role in the gifts of the Spirit taking place through this body in the Rogue Valley. I was hoping Steve would be here so I could let him know that he was really crucial. I'll have to call him up. Point number two. You are only happy when you're using your gifts as a lifestyle. doesn't mean 24-7. The Lord knows you have work and family and life. But you're only happy when you're letting the Lord weave your giftedness into the fabric of your life. Let's put it that way. Uh, We have a guy who comes on Saturday nights, Jim Porter, who evangelizes at work. He goes out like four times a week. He does it at the store. Uh, His thing is encouraging people with how much God loves them. But he just lets God weave it into his life throughout his regular work week. And I know people are busy. I talk to a lot of people who say, how do I have the time to seek God and to do this stuff when I have... You know, three kids at home and a wife and a job and all this other stuff going on. And my belief is that God can do anything with our time. He's he's the Lord of time. And he can make time for your giftedness. And he will make time for your giftedness. He will actually stop the sun in the sky like he did with Joshua if he has to. But he will make time for you if you say with a heart that's really seeking this, Lord, I want to use my gifts, but I'm busy. Make time for my giftedness throughout the week. And be careful with that prayer because it's not like he's going to take five or six days to do it. You'll turn around and you'll see somebody he wants you to talk to. So he will make it happen because he is so eager for you to be who he created you to be. He's eager for you to be who he created you to be because he knows that that's the only way for you to have joy. He created you to have meaning and significance. And that comes through using your gifts. You know, some prayers take time. Sometimes we pray for something and it feels like You're birthing something, and it takes like a nine-month gestation period. Or sometimes you're praying for something, and it feels like God is growing you first before he can answer that prayer. Like, you're not ready yet for this, but he's going to take you through a process, and then you'll get that thing. But with this prayer, God, I want to use my gifts now. Make it happen. He'll be right there. He'll just start doing it. And it's just one of those instant things. So be ready for that. I know a lot of us are already using our gifts, and I don't want to imply that you're not. But if you feel like, you know, I should be using these gifts. I want to be used by the Lord more. If you ask him, be careful because he will do it. And it's exciting. He wants it so bad for you because he loves you. He knows you more than an expert watchmaker knows the watch he's working on. He knows everything that makes you tick. He created you for significance. And he knows, you know, he doesn't need us to do anything. He doesn't need us to win the lost or to prophesy. He could do all that himself. He can send them a dream But he wants to do it through you because he knows that's what's best for you. And because following his own rules, he knows that he then gets to turn around and give you favor and blessing in this life, joy in this life. And it says, whatever you give for the kingdom, you'll receive a hundred times as much in this life. And then you get whatever the rewards will be in the next life. He said, no eye has seen, no mind can even imagine, but they're going to be good. And so we're supposed to actually be excited about that. And it's all coming through you allowing Jesus basically to make you who you were meant to be. This isn't about changing you. This is about fulfilling who you already are because he made you to be this. Okay. Let's keep going. I have six minutes and 48 seconds left. Time seems like it goes so fast when you're up here. Point number three, you can have the greater gifts. Paul wrote in chapter 12, verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. The original King James English that Paul wrote in 2,000 years ago says, just a little joke there. You know, it's a good joke when one person laughs. Thank you, Steve. (laughs) He says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, I thought we weren't supposed to covet. I seem to remember reading somewhere, maybe in like a suggestion, you're not supposed to covet. No, it was one of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't with the Ten Suggestions. But I guess there's a special exemption if you're coveting the gifts. Go ahead and covet the eager. Go ahead and covet eagerly the greater gifts. Paul would to have encouraged us to earnestly desire or covet the greater gifts. Actually, the King James says the best gifts. I like that. The best gifts. If he wouldn't encourage you to do that, if you couldn't have them, he encourages us to do, to do that because we can have them. So the greater gifts are not off-limits to you. What are the greater gifts? He says in chapter 12, verse 28, God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that workers of miracles, then gifts of healing. So those are the first five. He doesn't say these are the greater gifts, but that's just the first five. So I would guess those would certainly be considered the best gifts. You can add some others if you want to that list, whatever he's put on your heart. But the point is that nothing is off limits to you. It's not like certain people can have the gifts, but you can't have them. Right? Not like certain people can get prophecies, but God won't, God won't speak to you. Not true. That's the devil's lie. And the key word here is eagerly. Eagerly or earnestly. Sometimes we pray for something, like pray for healing for somebody, and they don't get healed right away. And the devil comes right in and says, Okay, well, I guess you don't have the gifts of healing. You shouldn't pray for people anymore. That's not you. Or you try to get a prophetic word for somebody and you don't hear something clearly and there's that liar saying, okay, well, I guess you're not prophetic. I guess you shouldn't be doing this. And if you just slightly desire it, you can let yourself get knocked off track by that. But the person with the eager desire will not let disappointment get in the way. You can be like the Kool-Aid man in those 1980s commercials. He burst through the wall, you know? <laughs> you're going to burst through that disappointment. And... You're not going to let the devil's lies get in the way. You eagerly desire these greater gifts. So an eager desire doesn't let disappointment get in the way. My sister, uh, Charity, was telling me the other day about working for a sales company in Seattle. This was a long time ago. But she had to go. She was sent out. The worst thing for a salesperson, the very worst thing, she was sent out to do cold calling, which means going door-to-door, talking to businesses just randomly, trying to sell, they were selling internet service for businesses. And... You get a lot of annoyed, no thanks, I don't have time for this, you know, we're busy type of answers. And finally, one guy was just like, no thanks, have a nice day. And finally she goes, well, why? Tell me why you don't want this. You know, Charity did it with a smile on her face, but on the inside, she's forcing herself to do this because she eagerly desired the sale. And the, the manager was taken aback at first, but he answered, he said, well, we already have internet service, no thanks. And she goes, well, how much are you guys paying, you know? Annoying salesperson. (laughs) But the guy goes, okay, well, we're paying this much. And she said, well, you know what? Our business is offering you the same service for less money. So finally, he kind of like shifts his weight, shifts his foot, and he goes, okay, I'm listening. And she talked him through it, and she made the sale. But it only happened because she eagerly desired. She could have very easily just said, all right, he doesn't want it, and walked out. But it happened because her eager desire pressed through. And we can press through for the things that God has for us. And in the pressing through, sometimes we find that the pressing through is the thing that the Lord was wanting us to do to get that better thing. God is like that with us. You know, no one has faced more rejection than the Lord. You read the Bible, and it's pretty much the story of humans rejecting him. From Adam and Eve, who had this fellowship with him in the garden, and they chose the forbidden fruit. In Noah's generation, no one but Noah's family and the whole world was choosing the Lord. You have the children of Israel, they were delivered from Egypt, slavery, and the first thing they did, build a golden calf. And again and again and again, the story of humanity in the Bible is most people rejecting the Lord. And God finally made it so easy for us that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us, to make it as easy as possible. All we have to do is believe, only believe, and we can have fellowship with him and eternal life. Because if he doesn't make it as easy as possible, let's face it, we're not going to get there. (laughs) He had to make it as easy as possible for us. Only believe, and that's our best hope. He had an eager desire for you. He was so eager for you that he wouldn't take no for an answer. And we all know we've tried to say no to God, and he would not let you say no to him. He drew you in. The one with the eager desire will see it fulfilled. Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Have you, ever, have you ever really thirsted? Like, thirsted physically? One time I climbed McLaughlin, and I only brought a one liter water bottle. I was 20, so I was dumb. No offense to anybody who was 20. And I drank it all on the way up. This was a hot July day. You can imagine. What was I thinking? I wasn't. On the way down, we got lost. My, my buddies and I, we thought we were on the trail and we weren't and pretty soon the mountain is getting further and further away we're like wait a minute we're not even on the trail what are we doing we're just wandering through the forest with none of us had any water it was the weirdest feeling and a terrible feeling to thirst and not to be able to get water we couldn't there was no water and we were it was hot and we were sweating and we were thirsty i really really didn't like it (laughs) as you can imagine finally we found a creek And I just got down on my knees and started drinking. I didn't care if there was giardia in there or what was in there, what kind of amoebas I was drinking. I was not going to take no for an answer. You hunger and you thirst, and you will get it. Here's what an eager desire grows out of. It grows out of a heart that is fully his. That's the key. A heart that is fully his will eagerly desire the greater gifts. Second Chronicles 16:9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is fully devoted toward him. Now, if you don't think that you've operated in the greater gifts, I'm not telling you that you don't have a, a heart that's his. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to feel criticized right now. I'm just trying to let you know what's available to you if you want it, not to say not to put limits on yourself and say this isn't for me i can't do this not to let fear get in the way not to let being too hard on yourself get in the way because the holy spirit the same holy spirit that prophesies through the best prophets you know wants to speak through you wants to heal through you wants to move through you so as we conclude today if you want to pray a brave prayer in your head brave because it will change your life right now with everyone's eyes closed Ask the Lord this question. Is there any greater gift that my heart desires, but fear has kept me back? Sometimes we don't even know what our heart's desire is because it's so suppressed. Is there any greater gift that my heart desires, that being too hard on myself has held me back from? Reveal that to me right now. If you have, Some of you have an answer already. Now, ask him, in your heart, ask him to create an opportunity for you this week to use that gift. I'm just gonna pray that as you pray it in your own way. Lord, for everyone here, I know your eager desire is for them to fully live through the spirit as you've called them to to do and to completely serve in their anointing to the max, not to be limited in any way, even with the greater gifts. Thank you, Jesus. It could be one-on-one. It could be in front of a group. There's no limits on these people, Jesus. And so I just break off fear. I break off being too harsh on yourself. I break off any kind of um, thinking too low of yourself that would say, I can't do that. Let everyone know what they've been called to do. And I pray that you, those who are willing, create opportunities for them this week to move through those gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go out and have fun this week with your giftedness.
1: Thank you David. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Holy Spirit. Let's stand up. We all have gifts. Say that, will you? Will you? We all have gifts. Say this. We have great joy in our gifts. We earnestly desire the great gifts. Very, 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 very good. Thank you, God. Put your hand on your heart. I feel like I have a word that for somebody. I feel like God is saying, um, I know your journey. I know you. I know it feels like you've come up against one wall after another, but I'm in the middle of it with you. And you will see in time that those walls are means of grace to you and that you will flourish. I have not abandoned you. I am with you. So hold, stay the course. Cleave to me. Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. You have a great future. I will provide for you and yours. You have not made a mistake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Means of grace, our gifts. God bless you as you go. We love you. God loves you. Stay focused, okay? Thank you.